Chapter 21 Getting Lost Liam survived the desert, Saul, Raven, and the abominations. Karis had worked her wonders on his arm a week ago, and though the fight with the abominations had exacerbated it, Mir's baths brought full healing. The remaining scar was another memento of his time in Outland, one wound after another leaving him stronger once it healed. Rejuvenated, Liam explored Mir. Stepping off of a waste bin, he shimmied a pipe up to the roof, careful not to touch the surface as it baked in the hot sun. Skipping across two rooftops, he pulled himself onto a tree branch, navigating further to a series of arches and ledges up to the bell tower. He scaled its rigid wall, resting once he reached the top, taking in the view. The structure was the tallest in mirror, overshadowing the intricate sculptures and stonework, its crinals accented by lions on all four corners. He found them unsettling at first, but as he spent more time atop the tower, they became more like companions than threats. Their stone faces were terrible, regal, and compassionate all at once. He fought the impulse to ring the bell, and instead sat at the tower's edge, cooler in the shadow of the massive bell. He had been to the highest point of the city once. Are you sure about this? He had asked Perry. Their escapades about the city seldom led to anything dangerous, yet this felt precarious. They had taken the elevator as high as security would allow and entered into a corridor. Confidence is the key, Perry said. As long as you look like you know what you're doing, people assume you belong. If we pass anyone, just act natural, confident. Maybe for you, Liam said, but they might recognize me. They know I'm not supposed to be here. All the more reason to act confident. Trust me. The corridor wound around the building, one side belonging to the various rooms and offices of the central tower, the other side a window to the city. They seemed so close to the apex of the pyramid's sloping wall, its windows close but clouded by age. Around a curve, their outside view ceased and a wall began. Perry led them to a door as Liam glanced from side to side, watching for anyone. You ready? said Perry, looking at Liam with his bright green eyes. Perry swung the door wide. Come on, Perry said, ducking out into the open air. Liam nervously stuck his head out from the door and saw that Perry hung on a ladder that led up the side of the building. You've got to be crazy, Liam said. Look, there's a carabiner and some rope, said Perry. It's for the maintenance, guys. It, it doesn't look like it's been used in a while, but it should be safe. Hook it to your belt and then hook it on as you go, and if you fall, it'll catch you. Perry began to climb the ladder. Liam took a breath and followed. The city sprawled below, stretching to the four corners. Buildings, apartments, the train, and the gardens intertwined and festered below him. The sight was dizzying, and he turned his attention upward as he continued the climb, hooking the carabiner to each rung as he went, less and less sure of the old rope as he ascended. They passed another two doors. Shouldn't we be at the top? I... I thought there were only two more floors, said Liam shakily, 
grabbing another rung. Two more floors you know of, replied Perry. He could now see that the building sloped at the top like the pointed end of a rocket. Various antennae jutted from the peak. They came to a strip of windows that ringed at the top and the ladder ended. The door to the top floor was locked, but a nearby broken pane let them in. Shaking, Liam pulled himself in. They walked around the room, glass crunching under their feet. Liam studied the scene, shocked by the massive amounts of blood near the window. There was something inauspicious about it, and Liam wanted to leave. Come on, Perry, he said. We've seen it, now let's go. Perry lit a cigarette and casually walked away from the dry blood. He sat against the glass, his back to a fall of several thousand feet. There was nowhere else to sit, so Liam, also attempting to impress his friend, sat next to him. You know how thick this glass is? asked Perry. Liam shook his head. This is less than an inch thick, Perry said, passing the cigarette. But it's also some of the strongest stuff in the world. How do you know? asked Liam. He took a drag from the cigarette and coughed. He regretted it every time he tried to smoke. All of the windows in this building are made out of the same kind of glass. It's even stronger than bulletproof glass. Why would you need bulletproof glass? asked Liam. Guns are only in the movies. It doesn't matter, said Perry. The point is, this is strong stuff, and it's broken. I'm sure there's a perfectly reasonable explanation, said Liam. Which is why you're so eager to leave, because it's probably nothing. The blood, it's just a coincidence. So, what do you think it is? asked Liam. It could be anything. I heard once that if you sit in the dark with two mirrors while holding a candle that you can talk to the spirits. That's nonsense, said Liam. Perhaps, but think of all that was lost from the war. For all we know, people did it all the time, said Perry. You obviously haven't been coming to lessons with Master Ferrith, said Liam. Besides, that doesn't explain this. Perry cocked his head, putting the cigarette to his lips again before answering. The lessons are boring. I want to hear about the angels and wars. All he wants to talk about are dead leaders, pre-war culture, and sword fighting. Perry tossed the butt of the cigarette against the door. All I'm saying is that there are lost things he doesn't know about. What, Whatever did this know something no one else here knows. I thought you liked the sword lessons, said Liam. I do, replied Perry. But back then they had... Guns and bombs. What about those? You barely allowed swords, said Liam. And there simply aren't guns anymore. Maybe, said Perry. I see you found my favorite spot, a voice said, startling Liam from his memory. Liam turned to find Barker Stoke. You made it! Liam said, happy to see the priest who had helped him recover in Levin. I suppose I did, the priest said. I was reluctant to leave my parsonage, and 
I lament Levin's fate. I wonder if I should have been there. I cared for those people, but there was work here, and it's kept me occupied. I'm sorry to disturb you. I just like the view of the city from here. Is this your church now? said Liam. It's my parish now, and seems to have been without a minister for quite some time, so I'm content to shepherd and maintain it. Barker looked over the city, eyes following the twisting and colorful roads. I come here to pray every day. So very long ago, it was common for the church to be the highest point of a city, and the ministers would go to their bell towers to announce the hour and pray for people. Liam pushed away the bloody memory of the highest point of Novum. What do you pray for? he asked. I should think a boy of the city could tell me what I should pray for, replied Barker. I don't know, he said. I've heard my grandfather pray. He prays for peace and compassion in the hearts of men. He prays for safety in the city. Then I hear other people pray. They pray for themselves. And what do you pray for? asked Barker. I hardly ever pray, said Liam. When I do, I try to be like my grandfather, but I don't really feel anything. It seems to me that we always pray pray for things we end up doing ourselves. Why do you pray? Hope, the priest answered. He left the priest to himself. The man was kind and patient, but Liam felt guilty interrupting his routine. The tepid boy from Novum was disappearing, and he thought he would have made Perry proud. He maneuvered the rooftops and alleys with boldness and stopped at the first tavern he could find. Unlike the predictable bartering standards in the Outlands, Karis' city boasted a currency system out of which she allowed Liam and the others a generous per diem. With little else to spend it on, Liam found fine food and beverages his preferred expenditure. He found that in mirror he did not have to reconcile his cognitive dissonance over eating once living beings. In Novum, animals were things meant to be preserved, and meat was grown in a lab. Most in the Outland didn't seem to think twice about butchering an animal and eating them. He wasn't sure what he thought about it, but it was easier to eat food that comforted his conscience, and Mir provided just that. Welcome to Goose's Wild! the burly barkeep said. It's a penny a pint, minimum of two drinks. We got red, brown, and sour. Your pick. Liam had learned the hard way that he did not like sours, though when he had said as much, Dorian gave him a pitied look and claimed that sour ales, like the bitterness of hops, were an acquired taste. Liam ordered the amber, and the barkeep set the frothing mug in front of him. Eyes off, Aster, son. Of course, Liam had not missed the young barmaid skipping from table to table, drinks and food in hand. She took orders with an infectious smile, carrying herself ladylike and confident. 
In the other towns, the men rarely showed the women respect, touching them and appropriately cursing them when they took too long to bring drinks. The men here, even those that appeared most unsavory, spoke to Aster politely. Yet she might have been the prettiest girl he had seen in the outlands. Did you hear what I said, boy? The barkeep waved a hand at Liam, who shook himself from his lustful gaze and gave the barkeep a nod. For the most part, Liam had other things on his mind. He had spent days exploring Mir, a tangled city of alleys, shops, homes, gardens, and taverns. He made it his goal every day to get lost and then work his way back to the mansion. By this method, he found the most interesting and often quite beautiful places. The multi-tiered complex of stained glass, wood carvings, vivid colors, and flowers never gave way to poverty or dilapidation. If there was anywhere in Alland that Liam had wanted to stay, it was Mir. It was a marvel that a single oasis in the desert could produce such life. But then the lake had been larger than he expected. Among the other bathers, Liam had dipped into a crystal clear water, the cold spring refreshing in the hot, arid desert. Toward the center, he could see the deep reaching down into the unknown caves. That was day two when he also talked with Dorian. He had found him on the porch enjoying one of Karis's famous saisons, which Liam acquired as well as he sat next to Dorian, who gave him a nod but said nothing. It seemed like a rather inopportune time, yet Liam had questions. It's a nice day out, Dorian said after a long pause. Liam nodded. It is, he said. How much longer do you think we'll be here? It's hard to say, Dorian said. Jacob's man sleeps, and he may have answers yet. We've guessed that Jacob has marched north, somehow finding his way into the pass. A battle there would be hopeless. In the end, I figured we could potentially do more harm than good, just like we did last time. You always talk like that, said Liam. Like what? asked Dorian. Like you've done some great wrong and are scared you'll do it again. We did do great wrong, Dorian replied. Oliver, Karis, and Nathan don't seem to feel guilt, said Liam. They aren't responsible. Or maybe they are and just hide their guilt, said Dorian lackadaisically. Then why try? Why come all this way across the desert? asked Liam. Because of who I am, said Dorian. I may feel guilt for my failures and have fear of repeating them all over again, but I know my duty. I think everyone here knows their duty, at least I think they do, but will that be enough? Dorian raised an eyebrow. <laughs> it's funny. I've lived for thousands of years as an angel, and I was so sure of things. I had transcended the problem of evil and fought with valiant enthusiasm at the gates of hell. 200 years here, and I don't know much of anything anymore. Hmm, so this is what Oliver meant, Liam thought. Is it enough, you ask? 
asked Dorian. Is it worth it? You must think so, answered Liam. You are here after all. You're a boy from the city, said Dorian. Is what's in there worth it? Liam thought about it. Even if Jacob had a way into the city, he would inevitably get bored, and then it seemed unlikely that he would be content to let a place like Mir exist. If he had known about such a place, he probably would have marched on it first. While Oliver's criticisms of the city and its people were legitimate, even he thought they were worth saving. Of course they were. They had to be. Vines and flowers, vivid and bright, surrounded the lush patio. Without the threat of Jacob, the whole world might be restored to something like it. Perhaps that was bold optimism, but if nothing else, at least without the threat of Jacob, the world could wake from its stagnant state and grow anew. I think it is, said Liam. If it's so hopeless, then we'll die either way, but at least we will die fighting. And if there's hope even a little, then this is our chance to stop living in fear and grow again. You sound like Nathan, Dorian said with a sigh. Oh, you sound like Oliver too, but at least he says it with a little cynicism. Yet you say it with refreshing humility, and despite my doubts, I know that you speak true. These are sad times when someone as young as you has to wrestle with these questions. But the worst is yet to come, and it is good to have someone like you on our side. It is said Karis as she stepped onto the patio. Welcome, said Dorian. We were just discussing if this is all worth it, if it will be enough. The usual afternoon conversation. Karis pulled over a chair and sat, her kind smile containing some subliminal joy. Of course it is, she said. Normally, said Dorian, hope is fleeting for me. I have to remind myself and force myself to believe in it, even when I don't want to, but your your city instills it in me. The credit's not all mine, Kara said. It's amazing what people can accomplish. You provided the tools and motivation, Dorian said. I wonder, said Liam, if the people of Novum could understand a place like this. They're human, said Karis. They can. Dorian tapped his fingers on the arm of his chair. Don't let my fatalism get you down. You aren't always a fatalist, Karis said. We knew something during the war, even if we didn't know we knew it. Hope is empty if it's in vain. Our hope wasn't empty then. And it's not empty now. It's not, said Dorian. But I can't put my finger on it. It all made sense from afar when I was a god. Humanity is a peculiar thing. Humanity will force you to deconstruct. Then deconstruct your fatalism, Kara said. 
She met Liam's eyes, and he felt that she saw something in him. There was an excitement to her gaze, as if wrapped up in his humanity was the perfect gift. Fate is fate, said Dorian. The cosmic chain reaction disseminates into our everyday lives until our experiences dictate our most minuscule decisions. That's where humanity comes in, Karis said. Fate makes a person the way they are, but they have the incredible ability to overcome it if they will it. Is that what hope is? asked Liam. The ability to fight our nature and circumstances? Perhaps, said Karis. I think it's what love is, and that hope is a byproduct of love. Tell me, Liam, said Dorian. You're the human. Is she right? On the seventh day, Liam found Aster. It was not that he had not noticed girls before, but now his confidence had changed. Not that the opposite sex didn't intimidate him as much as a crocata. He kept his eyes down as she passed behind the bar and into the back. He had been quite successful at ignoring her until he heard the voice of the young woman. Where'd you get that scar? He looked up at her and she smiled at him. He stammered a moment, regained his composure, and with his best smile replied, Crocata. She raised an eyebrow, her expression a mixture of respect and incredulity. No, really, he said, realizing the futility of trying to cover such a long scar down his arm. Her flirtatious grin faded, her eyes going to something behind him. Who's the stranger? A young man asked, sitting next to Liam. You leave him alone, Max Pike, she said. We were just talking. Looked like more than that to me, Max said, putting a firm hand on Liam's shoulder. He had two stout friends in tow to complicate the situation. Though he was armed and they were not, they either didn't notice his sword or they weren't intimidated by it. Were they really so protective of Astor that they would fight Liam over it? Liam resisted rolling his eyes. Astor, said Liam, holding his voice firm. It has been a pleasure talking to you. I don't want any trouble. And these three gentlemen seem to take offense to our innocent exchange. Why don't you be on your way? I'll be on mine and these guys can rest easy. She gave him another smile before bustling away. Satisfied? Liam asked. The hell I am, Max said. He stood, kicking a stool to the side. Max swung, and Liam leapt from his own stool, grasping the seat to bring it around. It broke across Max's side, splinters sailing into the air. Max sank under the blow, grunted, and lunged. He gripped Liam around the waist, taking him to the ground. Max's friends made a charge, but two other bar patrons held them back and another tried to pry Max away. He resisted them and swung at Liam, who blocked the punch and then landed a blow of his own. The fat of his cheek rippled under Liam's fist and Liam felt something loosen under the hit. Max fell to the side, spitting out a tooth and blood. 
Liam climbed to his feet, standing before the silent room, the patrons staring at him in shock. Without a word, he tossed three silver dollars on the bar, enough to cover the two-drink minimum in a gratuity, and left the stunned patrons slamming the rickety wooden door behind him. He stormed into the street, cheeks burning. He stepped into the alley, trying to still his shaking hands, wondering how much trouble he might be in. Surely they were just looking for a fight. They saw an outsider and thought he would be an easy target. Astra was all the excuse that they needed. I've never seen anyone stand up to Max like that, he heard Astra say. She stood in the alley, hand on her hip. She no longer wore the barmaid's dress, but a loose off-white shirt and dark pants. You shouldn't be here, he said. It's all right, she said. I convinced them that I needed to get some fresh air after all the excitement. They think I'm in one of the upstairs rooms. Are you okay? Liam calmed his breathing and wiped the sweat from his face. Fine, he said. I'm fine. I don't know what the hell their problem was. You should get back in there. I don't, I don't want you to lose money on my account. I tell you what, she said, twirling her blonde hair between her fingers. How about I be done for the day and you take me for a walk around the lake? Liam chuckled, relaxing. Okay, he said, anywhere but here. She went back inside for a moment, likely to let someone know she was done for the day and collect her tips, and returned a few minutes later. Though he knew the general direction of the oasis, it might have taken a half hour before he found it. Astor, however, having lived there her whole life, knew the quickest way and arrived in half the time. So you're the Astor they warned me about, Liam asked. They're just overprotective and Max is jealous she said. He has emotional issues, and a bully-turned-protective-lover-boy is a dangerous thing. Had I known he was there, I, I would have kept my mouth shut for your sake. You're not the first fight he's picked over me. For all the good it's done to try and stop him, you are the first fight he's lost. My boss says he's banned for good. Took him long enough. They walked in silence for a moment before Liam changed the subject. Tell me about yourself, he said, having little to talk about. Me? I've lived here my whole life. I'm not interesting. You're, you're the stranger. Tell me, stranger, what brings you here? Tell me of the happenings in the world beyond. Tell me how you got that scar. She said it not in an ignorant sort of way, but almost daring. Not only was she beautiful, blonde-haired and bright-eyed, but the way she spoke was magnetizing. No wonder she was so guarded. Why had she decided to pursue him, of all people? Liam realized that he was no longer the lanky boy who had left the city, but a dark-skinned and hardened young man. To her, he must look the bold adventurer and he wanted to tell her of his fight with Saul, where he had gotten the scar, but thought better of it. They arrived at the small lake and began to take the worn path around its clear blue waters. It was still but for the occasional ripple of a fish. You're lucky, 
said Liam. Most towns have a well and can barely sustain a single crop. Some are bigger than others, but most no more than a few hundred people. You have the cold spring here and then the hot baths on the other side of town. That is quite the luxury. They say it's all Lady Karis, Aster said. What else do they say? asked Liam. That far away, the crocata grow restless. The nomads are on the move. There's a reward for a boy from the city. The silly things men talk about. Liam felt uncomfortable with the thought. Where does an exciting man like you stay in this city? The mansion, he replied. You're staying at Lady Karis's mansion? She asked. No, he lied. I mean the inn next door. I, I can't remember the name. <laughs> the garden saloon, she laughed. It's easy to remember. You have pretty eyes, he said, trying again to divert the subject from himself. And they tell me a pretty everything else, too, though they have to keep their hands to themselves. She said, pulling Liam's arm around her waist. He forced himself to relax and smile casually, but the new feeling rose in him nervously. Come, she said. There's some beautiful shade over here. I can't believe you've never kissed a girl before, she said after they parted lips. You're good. Thanks, he said. I have something to confess, she said. Don't tell me you already have a boyfriend, Liam said with a smile. No, she said, her tone serious. I have a habit of stealing. Should I check my pockets? It's not like that. I, I collect memories from other people. Do you? Liam asked. She smiled then. There are so many happy memories in the world. I want them all. Have I said anything worth keeping? Liam asked. She shook her head. I haven't found the memory I want, not yet. Uh, alas, I think it's time for me to go. I'll have to get that memory some other time, sad boy. It didn't bother him that she called him a boy. He knew she meant it as a term of endearment. Night had come, and with it, a chill. He liked her taste, his arm on her side, or his hand in her hair. He wanted more, but resisted. Even if she would let him, he knew better. Nothing good could come of more. He would eventually leave this place. Yet he couldn't resist. Let's go somewhere, he said. I'll buy you a drink. Charming, she replied. Alas, I will be missed. I can skip on work, but not my family. I'd have you stay with us, but I doubt my father would approve. Kissing all afternoon and then staying the night? What would the neighbors think? No, I must be off. With a peck on his cheek, she stood brushing the grass and sand from her clothes. Liam got up as well. Farewell, Liam, she said. Will I see you again? 
I should hope so, he said. Where can I find you? The Blue House. Same street as the Butcher's. I know where to find you. Well, he said, then I'll see you again, Aster. I hope so, she replied, her fingers rubbing the scar on his forearm. The moon glowed in the night sky and Liam realized he had little concept of how to get back to the mansion. His clothes were light, and with the lake it got cooler than usual. This wasn't from a Gokata, she said with strange certainty. It kind of was, Liam replied, but it's hard to explain. A man who can turn into a Gokata, she said. Who ever heard of such a thing? Liam retracted his hands from hers. He had learned to control his fear to resist panic and to find the best way out of a situation. Yet, this was unknown. There was no barrier to break through, no beast to face, but rather an unfamiliar sort of danger. She might have been sent to lure him away, and his evening came so with the trap. This world was so new to Liam that he figured she might turn into anything herself. She took his hand back. It was warm. I'm sorry if I scared you, she said. I can explain. I have to go, said Liam. He wanted to know how she knew, but he was too scared, distrusting. To his surprise, she did not pressure him. Fine, she said. I'll see you soon. Her tone was not ominous, rather it seemed understanding of something Liam didn't know. He wanted to ask about it, but he left. At a glance over his shoulder, Liam saw that she watched him with a soft smile. He wondered if he should take it as sly or reassuring. How would he explain this to the others? He had spent the afternoon boyishly getting to know this young girl, but there was something about her, a knowing that haunted him. Every path of relative safety had been denied to him. Saul, the priest, left him with a scar on his forearm. The deserted town of Bronton had turned into a death trap, and even a demon had joined the people he supposedly trusted. At night, Mir did not shut down in the usual shades of gray and black, with dim amber lights creeping out of the windows. Instead, the light, hued by the customary stained glass, spilled across the streets, illuminating the paths in cool greens, blues, and pale reds. After a time, Liam found Karis's mansion. He took the walkway to the estate through the gates and briskly walked up the steps. Entering the solarium, he fell into a cushioned chair and sighed. It was dimly lit, relaxing, and smelled of old books. He almost didn't hear the servant approach with the beer. As he took it, wondering why the servant had thought to bring it, a familiar voice spoke. Not Goose's Wild, said Karis. He's a boy, said another voice. What did you expect? Nathan similarly stood in a spot Liam could have sworn was empty moments ago. Oliver walked in. So what's our little adventurer gotten himself into? Am I in trouble? Asked Liam, 
startled and looking at the three people in the room previously thought to be empty. Heavens, no, said Nathan with a smile. We were worried about you, that's all, said Karis. But I go out every day, replied Liam. Oliver gave a short laugh. <laughs> yes, but you're normally easier to follow. One minute you're in Goose's Wild, a bar rough by mere standards, and the next minute you disappear down an alley, and not without quite a commotion. On reflection, the superfluous rooftop jumping and alley running felt embarrassing. They meant well in following him, making sure he avoided trouble, but given his desert survival, giving him a tail felt condescending. It's nothing, said Nathan, seeming to read his thoughts. He just met a lady. Karis gave Nathan a look. Not that kind of girl, added Nathan. I heard, said Karis, that you started a fight with Pike's son. No, said Liam. He started it. I did finish it. Nathan laughed. You are a man yet, said Oliver, smiling. I suppose you got the girl? I did, said Liam. Is that it then? More or less, said Oliver. We were having a chat when we heard you come in. Decided to give you a scare. Liam took a sip of his beer. By all means, carry on. Liam said, debating on whether or not to relay the matter with Aster. He should have known better than to get close with a stranger. We were just discussing our mystery guest, said Nathan. The man we found in Bronton. Yes, agreed Oliver. We've spent the last few days trying to figure out our next move. If the man wakes, we might gain some useful information regarding rumor of an army at Avian. By our scouts, it seems Jacob and his abominations would hold at my pass, and we don't know why. How much could this man really help us? asked Liam. An army is an army. We could just march on the pass and be done with it. We know too little, said Oliver. We know that Jacob has likely taken Avion using the abominations. Dorian thinks his wards at the pass have been undone by some sort of death-based power. We suspect Raven's necromancy has something to do with it, but we don't know how or if Cain and Amelia are involved. For all we know, the man is a random prisoner, but more likely he has some information, perhaps about the unusual abominations. Jacob has a reputation for being brutal, but he usually doesn't go out of his way to be so unless it's personal. And, added Nathan, we don't know how much time we really have here. It's quite possible Jacob knows about us in this place. Speaking of which, said Liam, deciding to disclose the meeting with Aster. The girl I met, she knew about me. She knew where I got the scar. My people shouldn't know, said Karis. Who is she? She goes by Aster, replied Liam. I know her said Karis. Daughter to Kevin Balter, a good man, and from what I've heard, she's 
a nice girl. It would be impossible for her to be working for Jacob, but it's strange she would know such a thing. We should be prepared and wary, said Oliver. Leave the girl alone for now, but stay vigilant. A servant interrupted their conversation. All looked to the man, dark buttoned shirt tucked in, and gray hair receding. Pardon me, he said, but the man has woken. <laughs>